My name's David and this is the Hypothetic RL Podcast. If this is your first episode, welcome. If you enjoy it, we'll have many more, so please subscribe. To my returning listeners, thank you and welcome back. Rubber League is a game of millimetres and microseconds on the field and of chance encounters and a culmination of decisions of seismic importance off it. What this podcast does is explore the vast timeline of Rubber League history for these events to pose the question, what if this event had changed? The intention is to have a little fun in the exploration. For this episode, I'm joined by the man himself, Albie Tallarico, the wonderful director of the Mighty Newtown Jets, and many other things, I'm assured, I'm assured by uh, Albie, who tells me all the great things he does. Hi, Albie. Hello, mate. Great to, great to be on your program. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, you told me all the things that you do, and I forgot half of them. I know that you obviously steal sports as well. And... Yeah, steal sports. We, we, we broadcast... Uh... Well, we did up until you know COVID killed us. Yeah. For the moment, uh, the New South Wales Cup or whatever it's been called over the various years, uh, we've done some great broadcasting on the internet, uh, some great interviews as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, former referee in South Juniors competition, a former president of the Coogee Dolphins, a life member of a junior rugby league club, just someone that's just and like many other people out there, we're just passionate about rugby league. Yeah. And uh, you know, as as my wife says, it's it's my uh, it's my second girlfriend. And I would say, well, actually, it's my first girlfriend. I was going to say, just, you yeah. just cook for a living. But hey, well, let's not go there. But, <laughs> no, it, it's just there's something about rugby league. And when you grow up, as I did, and the only thing you ever talked about was rugby league. That's all we ever talked about as kids. Uh, and summer was just a time when um, you just you didn't talk about rugby league every day, but you talked about it every second or third day basically because you had to wait for the Rugby League Week Summer Special to come out, yep. the Big League Annual to come out, and then the December Super Issue to come out, and that kept us going through Christmas. Well, uh, you're, you're slightly older than I am, Albie, but um, that's I, I remember exactly the same things from, from when I was a kid because it's like, what's this cricket thing and who cares? Like Exactly, you know, exactly. Just just tell me just tell me who's training the house down and we'll, we'll be prepared for the next season. Tell me, Absolutely. tell me about my team not signing anyone for next season. That's that's what I usually used to go through. Well, that's right. Well, that's what used to happen. But uh, your team, you know, your team's on the precipice. It's right there, ready to go. As well, um, yep. With with some fine tuning, I think uh, I think it can only be good things for your side. And I think there'll be a lot of people out in the western suburbs that will become all those sleepy Parramatta supporters hmm. will get awake over the next 12 months to 24 months. I think something special is happening out there. I hope you're right. I do really hope you're right. Well, um, that once again, welcome and, and very welcome to have such an illustrious guest on this podcast. So uh, without further ado, let's have a look at the episode. Let's have a look at the event we're going to do for this episode. Absolutely. Well, there's no better event than the 1981 Grand Final. It was the last time that Newtown appeared in a Grand Final. And the way that I see it, well, look what would happen if Newtown had won. And they were in front just after halftime when Tommy Radonix went over and scored the try. And that made Newtown 11 and Parramatta 10. And, of course, in the last, I think it was the last 28 minutes, Newtown held out Parramatta through onslaught after onslaught, but with Kenny Wilson on the field, he kept turning them around, mm. and uh, eventually Newtown grinded their way to a successful 
first ever grand final since I think the 1940s. Yep. Uh, and Marrickville was a light, literally, because they burnt all the cars. But uh, <laughs> Marrickville went absolutely crazy that day, as did Newtown, the Henson Park Hotel. The roof lifted off, and Newtown won the match 11 to 10. John Singleton won a $250,000 bet against the bookmaker Terry Page who realised that he couldn't pay so he had to give him part of the Quidgy Bay Hotel at the time um, Tommy <laughs> Rodonikas got cash bonuses from Johnny Singleton the team went on a massive trip over to Hawaii and it was absolutely sensational so oh Newtown it was fantastic events and instead of yeah and, and just think they all of a sudden became a, a destination club and all players wanted to come and play for John Singleton and uh, and the New Zealand Jets. We'll, we'll get to that once we once we go through there. So just talking about that game, it was a real shame that, uh, you know, Brett Keane didn't score two tries like I thought he oh. would. Well, I thought he would have as well, but, yeah. you know, the outside backs of Brian Heatherington just shut him down. I mean, yeah. when you've got players of that calibre, now Brian, of course, went on, uh, you know, when he got selected for country in the New South Wales. Mm-hmm. But they were led by Tommy. You know, yeah. the grunt and grind of Tommy Rodonikas was nothing short of amazing. Graham O'Grady, uh, who they used to call the snake uh, for many reasons, but most importantly, he would just stand behind the defensive line and chop down the attacking players as soon as they started up a raid. Eric Roth was completely shut down. Blacklock and Ferguson managed to silence him. Mm. And, of course, Graham Atkins as well. And the man that they thought would lead them to a premiership, Peter Sterling, well, it was just a little bit of a disappointment uh, that afternoon. Oh, I tell you, you're hitting, you're hitting on the bone there. Hitting on the bone with Sterlo. You could, you could have, you could have got go everyone else. And um, anyway, that's fine. No, it's fine, Albie. That's that's great. That's, that's great recap. Re- sorry, great, great recap of um of that 1981 grand final, the 11 to 10 victory by Newtown. I believe yeah. 19, 1943 was their grand final. If I'm correct, that's right. And so much so that Frank Hyde hmm. uh, decided on that particular afternoon. He finally got to see the club that he played for in 1943. Hmm. Um, and uh, he decided at the end of 1981 that that would be his last game that he would call on the sideline. And, of course, the man of the match was Tom Rodonikas, and he won the Seiko watch. And uh, <laughs> the car, the Mazda uh, the Mazda RX-7 for the, for the for the try of the day went to Tom Rodonikas as well from Rex Mossop. Mm-hmm. So there were there were awards going everywhere that afternoon. And, uh, and you found finally... You know, usually most of these plays, the only time they get a brand new car was when they just uh, go, get on a bus and go out to all clues and bring one back with them. On this occasion, they were actually winning them legitimately. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, look, I think I think that covers exactly what what happens and what we've changed in the event from the 1981 Grand Final. So Newtown 11, Parramatta 10. Uh, I think to to see exactly, I mean, obviously, you know, you just, you've touched on a few of those things that that would have happened, but I think to get a better understanding of what possibly would have occurred if that event had been changed it was Newtown 11 Parramatta 10 I think we need to rewind and just have a look at the history of those clubs so no I was going to say so um what Newtown are you going to make the argument Newtown is the oldest club in Australia well I mean everyone already knows that okay I mean you know there was the you know listen there'll always be those that'll believe that Glebe was the first club it's okay um there are there are stories about the books not getting there on the right day mm. um, we really you know they wrote down on their book in 1908 listen if i know newtown like i know newtown someone 
got out what was then known as liquid paper and maybe maybe did something. Who knows? But as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, it's in the book, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm not here to argue with them. And it just runs well. Newtown was born on the 8th of January, as was um, the King Elvis Presley and the White Duke uh, David Bowie. So it just rolls off the tongue much easier, I think. Yeah, I did see that recently. It's uh, it's very nice. And then I saw the the boys from Glebe, you know, just just sort of give you a little bit of, well, we might have been there before you. But anyway, that doesn't really matter. I've got, I've got, they, I've got a bit of a soft spot. And I think it's fantastic. And I have yeah. a soft spot for them. What they've done is absolutely amazing. But, mm. um, you know, they've got to know their place. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, look, okay. So oldest club in, in Australia, Newtown, obviously formed 1908, as we were just saying. Uh, and a success within three years, well, two years, 1910 was their first grand final win. So, well, then, did they play a grand final in 1910 or did they just win first past the post? I think they played a grand final, didn't they? Yeah, it was it was one and two pretty much Yeah, uh, back, yeah. In, back in those days. And, you know, Newtown had a very checkered history. I mean, a lot of those players in Newtown, um, well, they went off and, and fought in World War One. It, it, it sort of hurt the club a lot mm. during World War One, and it was a long time before Newtown came back. Um, the two sides that pretty much ruled the roost for a long period of time were the Souths and Balmain teams. Yeah. Um, and it took a while for Newtown to come back, but bit by bit they regained, um, you know, some ascendancy in the inner west. Mm. And the transfer rule was a lot different back then. You actually had to live in your area to play for it. So you just couldn't go and go and play for Balmain. You couldn't just go and play for South Sydney. You had to move to the district mm-hmm. and play there. And that's why we, you know, Newtown at the time ended up with, with such incredible players. Yeah. Um, Frank Hyde said that they had a guy called Frank. There was a guy called Frank Burge and Herb Navarro, who they said were the two great players mm-hmm. uh, of of Newtown, and they lived in the area. They were, they, were, they were born and bred. They went off to you know the clubs. I think Frank went off to St George and played down at St George as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you've got um, incredible players that uh, played for the club in that area of time. And just pre, uh, you know, and during World War Two, you know, Newtown were able to capture those. those a lot. There was a lot of players that had to move or a lot of people that had to move into Marrickville because what probably a lot of people don't know is during that period of time a lot of those factories were the munitions factories mm-hmm. and they had to work around the clock of course for the war World War Two effort now my grandfather worked in a munitions factory uh, in Marrickville that was his job mm-hmm. and he had to put together the bullets and guns and things like that that were made here in Australia uh, it was very it was pretty top secret that's what he used to tell me uh, but the things that they did enjoy after work especially on a Saturday afternoon, because that's when rugby league was played back then. There was no rugby league on Sundays mm-hmm. uh, because it was the day of church, uh, was that, you know, they would go to Henson Park and they would watch, um, you know, uh, the rugby league or they'd go to Redfern Oval and watch it or they'd mm-hmm. go to Leichhardt Oval. Uh, and they were the things that they were able to do on a Saturday afternoon after they finished work, generally on a Friday. Sometimes they'd work on a Saturday and then they would go home. And, of course, Sunday was family day and church day. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people moved, you know, in that area. I mean, Marrickville was a different time to what it is now. I mean, uh, they, they call it Marrickville at the moment is, is an incredible, I suppose, the organisation of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the professionalism definitely yeah. changed from when I grew up, which was very, very Greek. It was it was Greek city, and then it became very much Vietnamese-influenced mm-hmm. after a while. Yep. But in the 1940s, it was very Australian, and it was very white Australian. Um, so my grandfather didn't have to move because he owned his house in Enfield. So that was Western Suburbs area, and he was yep. just inside the Western Suburbs uh, border because on the other side of the street was the Canterbury border. Mm-hmm. So that's how it worked back then, and that's how you had to play for your clubs. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a good thing you don't have that anymore because, you know, could you imagine 
Could you imagine Western Sydney clubs trying to um, trying to entice players? As most of them live up on the northern beaches, so you know, oh yeah, <laughs> it's it'd be very difficult for anyone to get any. You know, get, I mean, we don't need to help Manly any more than we help them at the moment. So, um, yeah, no, it's interesting you say about Marrickville because I think I was saying I was saying off air before. You know, my father grew up in in Newtown, you know, but he's not a Newtown supporter, so no. You know, Things, things that things change, but um, you know, and, and by that time, so so his father, my grandfather, played for Parramatta in the in third division or third grade, um, but I think by that time that rule was gone. I'm not sure when the was that residency car rule finished, but I think it was gone before. Yeah, that. it was gone, and then and then they trans, then they had, of course, in the late '60s. I think it was Dennis Tutty mm-hmm. that uh, took it to court and challenged it and won in equity. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that changed it all totally again. And there was a big uh, change in the 1970s of rugby league, which affected Newtown again. It was for for a long time. Mm. Those those clubs could not afford uh, players on the open market. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at 1973, the reason why uh, Newtown had such a successful season was Jack Gibson had come to the club. Uh, yep. Paul Broad had enticed him to the club, mm-hmm. uh, along with a young advertising executive called uh, called John Singleton. Frank Varrington was in charge way back when as well. He was a former boxer and a former uh, who served in the army, uh, mm-hmm. but he was involved with Newtown for a very, very long time. And they got Jack Gibson. Now, Jack had just finished his tenure at St. George, mm-hmm. uh, couldn't get through. There was a very tough board there at the time. And there was a lot of ghosts, as they said, you know, and there's a lot of history after the 11 in a row. Yeah. But for some incredible reason, Jack Gibson in 1971 got all three grades to the grand final uh, and then did the same thing at Newtown yep. in 1973. They won the club championship, which was akin. I think you made a comment, um, it's an incredible comment that Bumper Dwyer continues to, to quote, and, I, and, it, and it escapes me just at the moment, basically that how you know Newtown pulled off the almost impossible. They won what was then called the, the, Wills, the Wills Cup. Yep. which was the Craven Mile Cup later on. It was the pre-season cup. It was a knockout comp. Uh, you won a few bob. But Newtown hadn't won anything for a long, 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 long time. Mm-hmm. And around that time, Jack Gibson uh, spoke with Frank Farrington and John Singleton as well and said, you must change your name. And yeah. there are two stories. One, they were over in New York and they saw the New York Jets, which, which had really only come to being... Um, a few years before, uh, yep. through what was then the Super Bowl or the, I, I think it was called then the, um, yeah, they 60s. had their own Super League. Yeah, they, they had, had Super League problems. They yeah. had the AFL and NFL merger and stuff in the 60s. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so all of a sudden there was a guy called Joe Namath, and Joe Namath was one of the big players of the New York Jets at the time. Mm. The other stories, of course, they, they, you know, what are you going to call yourselves? And as a contest check roars past as it's on its way to what was their mascot Jess Base or Mascot International Airport, yeah. or Sydney International Airport, it was called various things uh, through through many, many times. Mm-hmm. Um, they said it's got to be the Jets. And so since the, the, Jets, the Jets were uh, re- rebadged in, 19, in 1973. Yep. And, yep. Uh, you know, that's how they, they got their name. A lot of the old school people that are probably in their 70s now always refer to Newtown as blue bags. Yep. It's just what it is. And it's they, just what they my dad call calls them. My dad calls them the blue bags all the time. He goes, "Oh, the blue bags." He's like, "Yep, yeah. yep, the and Jets." And you know what? And and you know what? I'm I'm happy that they call them that as long as they keep talking about Newtown. So I don't care. I think it's fantastic. And you know, the theme song was changed in 1973. It was written by a great uh, New Zealand Australian jazz singer, a Maori singer called Ricky May, who's no longer with us. He was a fantastic singer, and he used to sing with Normie Erskine, and they used to go around the clubs, and they they were great entertainers. 
and Ricky May wrote the song, and uh, it's been covered by a number of bands, Friends Will Rom, and, and people like uh, Tim Friedman and the, and the Whitlands. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's played at Henson Park and people are singing it uh, before a match or during the match or at the end of the match when we've mm-hmm. won, miraculously, uh, people clap their hands and, uh, you know, they say the blue bags are coming. It's not the Jets. So it's amazing to think that that's still a part of our, our culture as well. Oh, it's great. It's really great. Well, I suppose post-73, that's probably where... I mean, there's there's a the mid to late seventies is probably a bit of a downtime for Newtown. So, you know, yeah, you, well, you get three wooden spoons in a row, and things weren't maybe going as well. So, what do you it think? It's horrible time? if you're a Newtown supporter. Yeah, the and and of course, immigration had changed the way Australia was. Uh, Newtown, Marrickville, and Stanmore, hmm. uh, in particular, Marrickville became very Greek orientated. And the Greeks, you know, they love Australia, um, mm-hmm. always have done, but. Their, their game was football, soccer, and yep. their team was Sydney Olympic. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it was, or it was called Hellenic back then, I think it was, you know, the Hellenic side, the Association of Football. And that was their side, strangely enough, played in the blue and white as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it changed, it changed Newtown, you know, and I think Newtown suffered from that as well. Yep. Newtown also suffered from the fact that they didn't have a lot of money. Their club at the time, which was based on Stamwell Road, which is still there as the uh, Cypress Club, Mm-hmm. Uh, was, you know, the trade was good, wasn't great. And, of course, in those days, you know, cash was king. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people may have had their uh, hands in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, there were those blokes that were, you know, live, breathe and would, would do anything to play for Newtown. But some of those players eventually left and went to other clubs as well. Yep. They couldn't compete in the open market. And then a couple of things changed towards that mid to late 70s and and the advertising man john singleton who went off to make his vast fortune mm-hmm. uh, sold one of his businesses was a radio host on 2ky also had a tonight show as well mm-hmm. and he brought a bit of glamour to newtown and mm-hmm. um he got the cameras involved he would make the jet set lounge the place to be on a saturday afternoon or a sunday afternoon mm-hmm. and that was what changed Newtown. People started to wake up. All of a sudden, John Laws was up there, Delilah. Mm-hmm. You know, he would bring in his international model girlfriends. And I've got a photo of him and his late wife, Maggie Eckhart, um, who was his second wife, and his son, Jack, who's uh, who's still about mm-hmm. uh, in Bronte today, uh, in the grandstand. The grandstand has not changed. It is still there and is exactly pretty much the same. But it was called the Jet Set Lounge back then. And, and you know what? There were some high-earning high people. And, and to earn... You know, a quarter of a million dollars in Sydney back in 1976 to 1978. That's a lot of money. Yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's a lot of money. And, you know, they, they experimented. They brought in Manfred Moore, mm-hmm. uh, the late Manfred Moore, the uh, former reverend. And it changed Newtown. All of a sudden, Newtown got on the front page. Mm-hmm. Roy Masters, who was great mates with John Singleton at the time, said, you know, he asked Roy, he said, you know, who's the guy that I should get to coach Newtown? And in 1978, there was a third-grade coach who Roy had picked up from uh, his school. Mm-hmm. And that uh, was Warren Ryan. He said, well, give Warren a go. I reckon he's ready to go. And in 1979, John Singleton, his first big signing was Warren Ryan. And mm-hmm. that changed Newtown. And I think that really changed rugby league for a whole decade. Yeah, uh, and, definitely. Uh, he, 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 he's the man in that decade. You know, you look at all the grand finals he appeared in. Uh, but he started to get rugby league in, you know, Newtown started to take it seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. 1979 wasn't a great year. 
neither was 1980, but they were building. They just needed one or two players. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for John Singleton, he was in the right place at the right time when Western Suburbs had issues back in 78, 79 with cash flow and problems and things like that. Mm -hmm. So he went and after there was a raid on the Manly players uh, from Manly of um, the three three Amigos, Mm -hmm. uh, John Dorohy, Ray Brown and Les Boyd, John Singleton snuck underneath the radar and realised that Tommy wasn't signed. Mm-hmm. So he got Tommy Radonikas to come into his office in the city, made him an offer. Tommy said no. He increased his offer, then increased it with a little bit of extra cash and um, signed up Tommy Radonikas. And Tommy said, you need to get one other bloke. He said, who's that? He said, Grandma Grady. He said, ring him up and get him. Next minute, they ended up with a guy called Stephen Blythe, who was a former prop forward of Western Suburbs as well. So... Singer was ready to spend the money and mm. things were starting to flow their way. And with the couple of the youths and the couple of the juniors that were coming through, Newtown in 1981, the mixture was right. The pot was full. We had all the ingredients and we're ready to go. Yeah. So so I suppose, I mean, that's that's good. We get Newtown. We've got right through the history back to 81. Um, just as the parallel, we're talking about the 70s there. Um, yes. I'll, I'll talk for the Parramatta part now. Um, so basically... <laughs> Basically, if you have a look at their their formula, what they did in that early 70s is they, they looked at those successful Sir George teams and they really went after, you know what I mean? They beat, they brought Norm Proven in to be a coach. You know, they brought, yes. they brought a lot of... They tried to bring that Sir George mentality. Um, obviously, you know, picking up a guy from Rugby Union, Ray Price, you know, there was, there was quite... They, they had a bit more success in the 70s, obviously, 76, 77 grand finals, both lost, yes. but, you know, a bit of yes. success there. Um, it felt like the premise... And, I, and, I'll throw in, and I'll throw in that they should have been in the grand final in 1978 as well. Yeah, I mean... You know, without yeah, no. a question of a doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, it probably would have been more heartbreaking because I would have lost that one too, but, you know, it felt like... Obviously, I wasn't born at that point. Um, I was born in 1980, so you know I don't know about it. But I know from a lot of Paramount fans, the older ones, I think they think that the 70s was a that sort of section was was a bit of a a lost time. You know that they really should have got one of those that they were yep. so close and they were. I mean, they were they were within a maybe a pass of winning in 76. You know, like it, yep. it was absolutely. It was pretty. You know, it's pretty much that was where they were up to. Um, and then of course the old. You know. The witch. We all talk about the witch in Parramatta. You know, we we always we always say at the end of '81, in the real life when we do when you know the ding dong which is dead sort of stuff. So, yep. Yep. so I so I you know in this I've sort of half thought about this podcast. You know, um, you know maybe maybe I have to talk call it something like you know Newtown employs a witch or something. You know, because basically it felt it felt like destiny was about to happen for Parramatta. Obviously, you know, like I said, '78 close. 79 they were close again 80 they weren't they were close i mean they were close in all those years um and then finally you know maybe we're just the right people in right sort of people in the right positions you know you had you had peter sterling and brett kenny coming through and become forming that partnership you know they finally had figured out their their back line and you know 81 they were a pretty good team but like, like you said you know newtown they actually finished ahead of parameter on the table at the end of 81 so you know it's not like it was destiny, and they were always going to win that grand final. It was definitely up for grabs. You know, it was a 
without question. I mean, Newtown went up against the former grand finalists in the Roosters, who mm-hmm. lost in 1980, who were the best side all year in 1980, yeah. uh, without without a question of a doubt. They just went down to a, I think, a side that was much more prepared on the day that knew what it was like to lose a grand final in 1979 from St George. Yep. Uh, and then all of a sudden they came along in 1980 and they put them, you know, they just basically in the first half, they held it. I thought Roosters played a pretty good game of football in that first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Canterbury just had that little bit of magic, you know, with Mortimer and Brentnell and the brothers and things just went their way. And I think that they had a coach that, you know, understood what it was like to trust his players, whereas Bozo was a very technical coach mm-hmm. out of the Jack Gibson book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I think that's basically getting us back up to, to 81. So, you know, we're getting the traje- trajectory of these teams. So obviously, you know, Newtown make this grand final having a look at, you know, Newtown winning this grand final, uh, what are we, you know, basically I think we go through now and say what we think is going to happen to the fortunes or the change in fortunes of these two teams. What do you think would have happened if, if Newtown holds off, holds off the trof- trophy, half the trophy, holds off the trophy in 81? Yeah, well, back back in the day, it was the JJ Giltner Shield in, in 1981. Mm-hmm. 1982, I think, yeah, New, uh, 1981, I think 1982, it would have still been a good year for Newtown. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think the hangover would have been way too much for them in, in, in harsh reality. Yeah. I think they would have drunk themselves for six months they'd be celebrating it because it was such a long time between drinks whereas um, you know Parramatta probably would have got back to business on the day after the grand final mm. Newtown would have partied literally like it was uh, I suppose back then it was the big oh, back in 1979 I suppose the change of the decade mm. um, they would have continued partying Warren Ryan would have pulled them aside got them back into gear they would have started off slow I have no doubt about that yep. and they would have finished strong and they probably may have just become maybe top five Maybe yep. just outside the top five back then. Yeah. Um, but well, they, saying that, yep. they would have re-signed Tom Radonikas. They would have re-signed a few players. Newtown probably, and I, and I really do believe this, would have become a little bit more professional again. They were on the cusp of greatness. Mm-hmm. The money that they would have won would have been enough to settle a lot of the debts um, on the uh, from the football side of things as well. And mm-hmm. I think the fact that they had won would have assisted the league's club in making sure that they were able to trade their way out of any problems that they had, mm-hmm. and that would have helped them financially as well. Now, how long did that last for? Well, yeah. back in the 80s, it only lasted to 1983 until the, the club was sold, I think, 84 or 85, and it took a very long time to sell. Mm-hmm. because we were about to go through a very, very tough recession in Australia. Yep. And a lot of people left, they'd lost their jobs. And to give you an example, there was over 10% unemployment uh, in that period of time, and I remember it very well. We were very fortunate. My father worked um, loading trucks, mm-hmm. but he also had a backup job. And like all good, uh, I suppose, ethnics, they had a cash job. Mm-hmm. And that was allowed because the money went back into the system. The government didn't get their hands on it until they started buying things and stuff like that. Uh, there was no GST, but there were some sort of wholesale sales taxes and some products back then, if I recall. Mm-hmm. But like every good, you know, he was a musician. So he would play in clubs and restaurants around Leichhardt, Maracol, and Newtown, and sometimes in the eastern suburbs as well. So that's how we survived as a family. Um, and a lot of those families, however, in Maryville, weren't able to. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of properties would have gone and the changing of demographics happened yet again. And the Greeks moved on to various areas like Earlwood and moved to Fringes and places mm-hmm. like that, Kingsgrove. They went south, southeast, 
uh, mm-hmm. towards that area. And of course, with you know the Vietnamese starting to come in uh, throughout Marrickville, that was one of their places along with Cabramatta. They had the two particular suburbs that they became very much attached to, and they're still a part of the culture of Marrickville today. Newtown would have still survived. They would yeah. have continued back in, I reckon, probably by about 1985, maybe 1986. Now, during that time, Cronulla and Western Suburbs were due to be kicked out. Yep, yep. So you think Newtown and probably would have survived beyond, beyond Newtown, Cronulla? See, Newtown weren't even on the radar at that time. Mm-hmm. It was Cronulla and Western Suburbs because St George would have swallowed up the Shire and they would have had rugby league all the way down the south coast. Yeah, Cronulla would not be around today. Mm-hmm. Western Suburbs would have fought and still won uh, under the uh, control of Rick Wade, who took them to court yep. and won under equity, and they still won. Cronulla never fought at that time. Mm-hmm. You've got to remember that Cronulla never fought. They were lucky because what had happened was if we just reverse it and Newtown went out in 83, the New South Wales Rugby League gave Cronulla a bailout. Yeah, They would not have done it had Newtown have won. Mm-hmm. Cronulla would have been left to go. However, come to the mid-80s and the changing demographic, the New South Wales Rugby League would have ensured that the move to Campbelltown would have definitely happened and that Newtown would be out there at first called the Newtown Campbelltown Jets, but they would have been rebadged in 1988, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe 1989 as the MacArthur Jets, and they would have encompassed that field with one or two games occasionally at Henson Park. Mm-hmm. But I would have thought that they would have played out at Arana Park, which is now Campbelltown Stadium, or MacArthur Stadium. It might have been called these days. Mm-hmm. And Newtown would be out there um, with some control of the Leagues Club out there, and it would not be Western Suburbs area or yep. West Tigers area now. It would have been a Newtown area. Mm-hmm. And they'd still be around uh, playing in the top tier of rugby league today. So, okay, that, so... If that happens, because a lot of a lot of what happens with West, obviously they they you know they win their court case, but yes. a lot of a lot of what kind of keeps West afloat is the fact that they move to Campbelltown. So yes. obviously, if they don't move to Campbelltown, they stay where they are in Ashfield. Do you Correct. think? Do we think that Western Suburbs is not going to survive? And they would no, they, they would have folded. They would have still survived. There yeah, wouldn't okay. have been a problem there. And the reason why I say that is that they would have moved their juniors and they would have started to take on some of the Newtown juniors. Mm-hmm. Newtown would have had to have surrendered some sort of in a deal to ensure that another foundation club doesn't get done over. Newtown's a very loyal club. Mm. Newtown's a very loyal club. They would not have they would not have done anything wrong by Western Suburbs back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, they would have, you know, I think Western Suburbs would have definitely survived. They had a very, very strong leagues club. The problem with Western Suburbs at the time, which doesn't happen today, was that the leagues club had no say over the football club. Mm-hmm. So the money that was filtering in Western Suburbs, which that particular leagues club was was piling in cash, piling in cash, mm. plus they own properties across the road in Ashfield. Yeah. Massive parcels of land where I grew up. And they, you know, they were smart purchases. They bought these block of lands. To give you an example, they sold it a few years ago. I think it was around about, with a pre-DA approved, for so many apartments, a high rise, you know, 10 or 15 flights, I can't remember, uh, stories, yep. Yep. for 30-odd million dollars. Now, they had to wait a long time to recoup that investment but they recouped that investment and you think about what they would have bought that block of land for way back when which i think they bought it in the 60s and to do what they did and hold on and go through what they went through mm. i think if there's one thing i've learned about western suburbs is that they would have survived and i think they would have done something with the catholic club uh, in lincoln and and i think things 
they would have they would have had a massive meeting and eventually they would have made a compromise and Western suburbs would have prevailed. Interesting. Well, I mean, from the Parramatta point of view, I don't think much is going to change. It might put more pressure on 982 because it feels like 82. Well, I mean, try and be the first win against Manly would have been interesting. Uh, well, it was. It, what is the, it's the perfect grand final. It's the 47 yeah. versus 47. It's the replay of the 76 grand final. Mm. So much is about to happen in 1982. Everything's ready. They only lost by a point. And as the old saying goes, you've got to lose one to win one. Uh, yeah. So they're up in 1982 against Manly. Do you think they would have won? Uh, look, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if psychologically it might have scarred that team. You know what I mean? Like it being... Being so good and and going down again, look, I, look, I still think they probably do win. I, I'm not going to take 82 off them. I just don't know whether there's as much aura about Parramatta if it's just 82 and 83 and then 86. You know what I mean? It's probably they get one. They only get three in a decade. I mean, they still would say they're one of the dominant teams of that part. But I'll throw I'll throw this I'll throw this spike into your chain here. Yeah. Parramatta win in 1982 and they win 83 and they win 84. Why do they win in 1984? Well, Warren Ryan signs on as coach for a further two years at Newtown. So there's no Warren Ryan coach at Canterbury. So there is no Warren Ryan at Canterbury. Mm, Interesting. So you think about from that scenario, finally, finally, maybe he signs on to them in 1986 Hmm. and Jack Gibson in his final year goes up against Warren Ryan, who he faced off with in 1981. Hmm. It is the battle of the super coaches. I mean, that's a story for another day. But, um, you know, when you think about it, they only ever faced off once in the grand final. Yeah. And, and according to this podcast, Warren Ryan got the biscuits. That's true. Although, I sorry to put a damper on it, but uh, Gibson wasn't the Parramatta coach in 86, but that's fine. John Money. That's what, well, yeah, John Money was, but yeah. uh, usually see Jack would walk out after three years. Oh, so you're saying he'd stay. Okay. Yeah, he'd stay because he had a point to prove, yeah. Yeah, all right. No, that's, that's good. I'd, I'm happy to keep Jack Gibson for another 10 years. <laughs> I don't care. Why wouldn't you be? I mean, it's like someone saying, oh, I don't want Wayne Bennett, like at the moment, or I don't want Craig Bellamy. It's like ridiculous. Of course you want the best coach. You want the guy who's going to, you know, who's going to win your grand finals. You know, you get sometimes blessed with a couple of coaches yeah. that basically control the game. Mm-hmm. Not because of, I suppose, through their achievements, but their aura. Gibson and Ryan of the 80s had the aura. Mm-hmm. Bennett and Bellamy have that aura. Yeah. The other one that has the aura is Trent Robinson, without mm-hmm. a question of a doubt. Of and we're lucky to have that third coach, that one that can put the, you know, the, the spike into the wheel and that he can upset both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, There's no one else that probably has what those three have got at the moment and you know Wayne another year to go potentially he'll you know like Clint Eastwood he'll ride off into the distance a little bit <laughs> yep. and uh, you know South will have their new coach come the end of this year beginning the next and uh, and he's another he, he's, a, he's a super coach waiting to happen I'm telling mm-hmm. you oh, oh good luck to them um, I still wouldn't mind if Wayne decided he wanted to come back to Parramatta and coaches to be fine I don't mind well, I don't care just... if he's got to be on oxygen it's fine <laughs> You never know what could happen. I mean, he's, I, I can tell you this, his partner loves being in Sydney. and She's got a fantastic job here, mm. and he does like living where he's living at the moment. He's not too far from the water. So, you know what, I think things for him are pretty good. He's quite relaxed. He doesn't ever stress about much, Wayne. It's it's an amazing thing to think that he's a rugby league coach, and, you know, he's still got most of his hair, and I suppose it's the fact that he doesn't drink and doesn't smoke, which helps as well. Mm. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Uh, look, I think if we're going, if we're going way, way forward, so you've gone to the end of the eighties. Um, yes. Here, here's a here's a curly question for you though. So in this in this reality, there's no Cronulla, so Cronulla's gone. Yes. Um, 
we get to 1995, and we're stepping on the Rubber League Digest here a bit, but I just want yes. to say, when Super League happens, what does, yes. does Newtown stay as loyal to the ARL? That is that is an incredibly good question. MacArthur, sorry, MacArthur stays loyal to the NRL. MacArthur to the, the ARL. Jets. Yeah. Um, do they stay loyal? Well, it's up to the it's up to whether. Um, you don't don't forget there are a couple of things here about the whole of um, the way that news approached, and I know that the boys have spoken definitely. They went for regions. Yeah. They built their competition around their product. Mm-hmm. They didn't build the product around the competition, and. MacArthur is south southwest of Sydney. Mm-hmm. Would they have gone after the MacArthur Jets? The thing about them is that you can put the MacArthur Jets anywhere because they'd still sound good, you know. Because MacArthur was it was a John MacArthur was a great person in Australian history, so you could put them in Queensland, you could put them in Victoria, you could put them in Adelaide, you could put them in Perth. They don't mm. have a name that's geographical. Would they have gone after them? Let's not forget John Rebo was in charge of that too. Whilst he was at Newtown, he didn't really have the best time at Newtown. Mm-hmm. I think he felt dudded because he was in a car with John Singleton who drove him around Rose Bay and said, this is Newtown, mate. He had no idea. He was from Queensland. <laughs> Look at these beautiful houses. Look at this beautiful water. And then they ended up 20 minutes down the road in America. I mean, John Singleton was Australia's greatest salesman, apart from the boys from Mojo. Mm-hmm. He was Australia's greatest salesman. He was brilliant. And he, at the time, he could convince anyone to do anything. And he had the power. He was the first person to beat John Laws on morning radio. It only happened once or twice, but he did it. He had a Tonight Show that rated very well on Channel 10. Mm-hmm. Um, his promotions worked. His advertising worked. He had various things going on. You know, things ch- changed, you know, with the recessions and depression, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But he relaunched himself again and um, still going today at age 80. He's going fantastic. So but back, to the, but back yeah. to the original question: Would they have signed with Super League? I think, knowing Newtown, like I know Newtown, they would have stayed loyal with the ARL, mm-hmm. and they would stay stay out at the MacArthur Jets. And in the breakup of coming back into peacetime of 1998, MacArthur Jets, because it was an area that was very important, still is very important to rugby league, having great uh, international players like Benji Marshall, who ended up playing for the MacArthur Jets, mm-hmm. um, and of course other players that came out of that that great uh, uh, that great school out there of St Gregory's, they would have had some great players play uh, out in that area. Yep. They would have stayed loyal to Newtown, but it could have been they could be the, the club that. Uh, that won the that won the battle for the ARL, or at least uh, had a better better compromise between the two organisations. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I suppose in this hypothetical, Cronulla is gone, so one of the yes, Super League clubs is already gone. Um, yep. So they're going to pick up Canterbury and Penrith, most likely. Yes. Um, yes. And then they'd be looking for, you know, that that other franchise. They'd be looking for that other club so we've been very interesting well, to see what I would they did. Have thought, I would have thought Western Suburbs would have stayed loyal but mm. maybe Balmain might have uh, gone that way. Maybe. Balmain you know in that period of time they you know that they, they come through that 1980s glory yep. they didn't have a lot of money in the bank at the time they were struggling mm-hmm. so maybe they were the side that would hold up Sydney for uh, for the News Limited and Super League. Interesting. So they'd have Canterbury on one side of the road Balmain on the other side of the road which would hold they knew that South wouldn't fold wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. The Roosters stayed loyal. Penrith went. Parramatta stayed loyal. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, then you had these two competitions, these parallel competitions, similar to what happened in which we, we touched on before in mm-hmm. America in 1966-67. Uh, yep. 
I think there he is. And, um, and I actually think that uh, the MacArthur Jets would have stayed loyal. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of the, the influences uh, of, of various business people out there at the time, um, uh, but Balmain would have been the one that would have gone to Super League. Okay. Oh, look, I, I don't know whether I'm correct or not, but I feel like St. George might have been a good, good candidate. Um, I actually think well, they, might... they, they mm. had the, the money that they offered St. George at the time back in, and I know that the boys have spoken about this, was astronomical, but mm-hmm. the club refused to yield. Yep. So they went after the players. And by the end of the 1996 season, St. George had nothing in the bank and pretty much because mm. um, they'd spent a lot of money. And some of the great players that were there had gone off to various clubs across. Uh, you know, they, they lost a good portion of their side um, to, to Super League clubs. Uh, and that was unfortunate because that could have changed our whole history back in, in 1996. It's very much so. I mean, the, the other, one of their big signings that probably would go would be a young fella called Andrew Eddinghausen probably would have been playing for St. George. Um, yes, he did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about the the, um, the nursery that St. George would have had all through the Shire yeah. and also down into Wollongong. Mm-hmm. You think about those particular players, they would have had a huge amount of... Um, things illawarra was starting so you've had some, it would have been a cut off at the expressway so yep. anything down the down the mount oosley would have been all illawarra anything uh, anyone anything to the top of mount oosley would have been all st george into the shire mm-hmm. um but the, the, those two particular leagues you know the junior i mean the cronulla were always and it always has been the middle child of that area yeah you know? yeah uh you know illawarra were the babies and st george was the big brother mm-hmm. uh, cronulla's first ever coach you know was a st george um Coach, uh, a player and coach in King Carney, yep. and the guy that got them to the grand final in 1978, like was with Parramatta, was Cronulla. Mm-hmm. You know, he brought he brought that sort of metal to Cronulla, and you know they should have won in 78. They didn't. That's the way life goes. Yep. Another right. story for another day. Look, there um, might be a Cronulla yeah. fan out there who who will who will say, "I want to do that one," and I'm sure there will be. Uh, I know just I know just the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a I do have a Cronulla fan who's gonna who is gonna come on, and he did toy with that one. And then he changed his mind and said, no, I don't want to change 78. I want to change uh, 99. So, Yeah, well, 99 was a very interesting one as well. You know, it was just the fact is, you know, we often say that one player can make a huge difference. You know, we saw that in, of course, uh, the grand final of 2005 with the MacArthur Jets' Benji Marshall. Look at mm-hmm. that. But in 1999, it was all Anthony Mundine. Yeah. He just the one guy was just Jared Hayne of two thousand and nine. Same thing happened ten years before Anthony Mundine, mm-hmm. and one player just was able to motivate his side and led by example, and made a mockery of his opposition. And he would taunt them, and he taunted poor old David Peachy that afternoon. I'll never forget him. He went one, two, and he said three, and he said that's it, you're out of here, and that was the end of Granada. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that's you know that's rugby league. That's fine. Well, that'll be one for for another day. But interesting, like like you said, this this victory for Newtown in nineteen eighty one is is the death of Cronulla. That's a that's a very interesting thing, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of Cronulla fans won't like that one. But it does no, make well, they, they, yeah. they are our senior partner. They are our big partner. So I, t- I I'm I'm not doing this as a <laughs> it's a by payback any means whatsoever. I, you know what we've achieved in what we call the inner west side story over the last since we've been together mm-hmm. is nothing short of amazing. The moment they they came with Newtown, uh, they, they won 
they won the grand final, you know. So within yep. 12 months, they won a grand final. We, through some of the great people that we've had involved and their, their coaches as well, in Bomber Morris and previous to him was Shane Flanagan, some of the kids that they've brought through, the uh, the Bailey brother, the Braley brothers and mm -hmm. uh, Sorensons and, you know, uh, Talakai. I mean, some of these kids have come via South Juniors as well and now they've ended up down at Cronard because they couldn't fit them all there. Mm -hmm. So they ended up coming via Newtown and they got, you know, a couple of years here has been nothing short of enormous. It's been, you know, fantastic. Um, and, you know, to see those kids, and, that, and that's something that if you come out to Henson Park, you're not actually watching the kids of today, you're watching the stars of tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. You know, we, you know, we got to see that young young, uh, young Flanagan as well, uh, Shane's son, mm -hmm. you know, slowly evolve. It took him a little while, but, oh, you know, I'm telling you, he's, a, he's the next super. He's going to be fantastic at Canterbury. I think it's a club that will suit him down to the ground for his personality. Um, and, and that's the thing about Henson Park. We offer something that's a little bit different, whereas a lot of other clubs don't consider, you know, they still have their second tier. They consider it important. Hmm. It's our life. So it's we, we go there every Saturday, our group of volunteers and our group of workers that go there every Saturday to set up the ground to get the game right at 3 o'clock for the main event. Because we know at 2.45, a couple of thousand people will get through those gates and they want to be they want to have a drink and they want to be fed. Mm -hmm. And then they want to see a good game of rugby league. And the year before last on our Beer, Food and Footy Day, we had... As far as I'm concerned, we beat eight nine seven two. Even though that was the official crowd, of course. <laughs> I've been going to that ground since 1978. Yeah, and I was there a couple of times throughout 1981, and also when the Roosters played there as well. Uh, whilst the City Football Stadium was getting built after the Sports Ground went under, so you know I remember going there and watching one or two games. Hmm. But that particular afternoon last year, I've never seen as many people in my life at that ground, or the year before last, I should say. Um, and you know what? That's what we bring. Mm -hmm. And through that, and that's because of our, you know, we also have the great help of Cronulla. That's another good thing. But in this story, they're not there no more. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, you're there and they're not. So maybe yeah. maybe Cronulla re-enters the competition as um, in the second division as, as the MacArthur Jets feeder club maybe that's what yeah, happens maybe. That's, yeah maybe that's what happens who knows probably not they probably end up being the roosters feeder club but you know that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, anything's, anything's possible with nick politis that's something i've always learned oh, never know look I, I that's been a really great chat and i think it's it's been really great to um to feel very disappointed in 1981 so you know you've you've stripped we only got four premierships you've already taken you've taken a quarter of Paramount's premierships away from me um <laughs> I'm, so. wait till i tell my mate about this one He's, he would just blow up he, uh -huh. he would just you know, but, you know it's it's been a, it's a very interesting conversation i think your podcast fantastic because it asks questions that no one really has thought about asking and that's yeah. the what if. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. And, and I reckon there's many other questions out there that, uh, you know, I could talk to you about 1978 ad nauseum. Oh, uh, one look, day I just might, but yeah. I've, I've got probably years and years of content. But look, if anyone does have a, a particular event that they that they want me to do, feel free to, to email me, hypotheticrl at gmail.com, or you can DM me or twitter me at, at hypothetic rl i'm very happy to to listen to them if you want to come on you know I, it's great i've had a really great talk with with albie tonight so you know and, and i appreciate talking with anyone who is passionate about rugby league as much as you are albie so you know i'm really happy to 
to have these chats and and look i have a few people coming up which i'm very excited about i was really excited about tonight um and you know like you made me wait an extra half an hour but that's okay i'll i'll forgive you on <laughs> well, that you one know, you know you know what when when what, what what do they often say if you're important people will wait oh look you know i was gonna <laughs> wait for you it's no problem <laughs> But, oh, listen, it's been an absolute thrill. I hope that the, you know, I, I, I love when people pose different questions. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in, in reality, Paramount have got those premierships. They were the king of the 80s along with Canterbury. Uh, they're not far away. They're ready to go. I, th- I think there's something special bringing out the Western suburbs at the moment, I can tell you that. We could we could be, we, we could be, or we could just be on another cycle where we go good and then we go no good anymore. So, look, I, I've gone through a lot of years of this, you know, I'm... I'm pretty prepared for anything, Please. you know. But then, look, no, look, you've only gone through since 1981, so don't worry about you. You've, you won you won in 81, so don't worry about it. Yeah, we're okay. We're okay. You're okay, but, MacArthur yeah. Jets, number one ticket holder. Um, <laughs> it's it's the people of Cronulla I feel sorry for because they never got a premiership. So No, they, yeah, yeah. You know, um, much like uh, Illawarra that a, before. That, that was a fabulous night, and I was, I was out there that night too. But yeah. yeah. All right, all good. Well, um, I think that's I think that's everything we need to go through. And I thank you again for for making some time for this. And and thanks for the kind words. And um, I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Thank you so much. 